Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. fans and once again welcome back to I Saw the Beatles. This is episode 38 and today we have a really special guest who has seen the Beatles, who saw the Beatles, I shouldn't say has seen, kind of not around anymore, but uh, saw the Beatles three times, twice in Philadelphia, once in New York um, and she's also the author of a book which we'll be talking about later on after we find out all about, you know, her little history with the Fab Four. Hi, Patty. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing today, Jen? Good. I guess I should I should say your full name, uh, Patty Gallo Stenman. And you're you're a right. you're a Philly girl, but you're you're not there anymore, right? I'm born and bred in Philly. Went to college in Philly, but I am in Dallas, Texas now. <laughs> Don't ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, I want to say you poor thing. Philly, Philly and, and yeah. Dallas are not known for their ability to get along in sports. Fact, right. You know, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. That must be, yeah. must, must be a tough crowd down there. Um, it is. It is. Believe me. Yeah, That's another those, story at another time, right? <laughs> yeah. For the, those who heard that Patty's, Patty's, you know, one, Patty's name is uh, Patty Gallo. Uh, do not confuse her with Debbie Gallo of the Philadelphia area, the uh, radio um, <laughs> personality. And I've asked Patty, and we've tried to figure it out. You know, uh, no, they're not related. But you know, hi to Debbie if she's listening, and and uh, yeah. you know, maybe maybe they can become soul sisters. Anyway, <laughs> we, right. we, we stink good time. idea. Sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Patty, so how old were you when the Beatles? in 1964 when the Beatles, you know, became huge. Yep. I was just the proper right age. I was 14. And yep. that was an incredible age for Beatle maniacs. It was just, I was a freshman in, in high school. It was just the greatest age to be a Beatle maniac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, just just eight years younger than Paul. Good. Were you were you that's were right. You a John girl, Paul Paul girl. Who who was yours? Your favorite Beatles. I I I was a Paul McCartney fan from from the time that I was uh at, from the time I saw him on the Ed Sullivan show. We and actually I could tell you something interesting. We kind of all picked our favorite Beatles the night of the Ed Sullivan show. And when we were Beatle maniacs, we all, it all kind of went back to that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine, I can imagine everybody, everybody the next day at school, you know, all the girls putting their heads together. Oh, wasn't he so cute? Oh, wasn't he? So, oh mm-hmm. no, no. I thought he was cute. And yeah. And you kind of all divided up into your own little, you know, 
right. your own little uh, Fab Four groups, you know, of your your particular favorites and stuff like that. So you so you did see them on. Uh, I I don't know why I ask if everybody why everybody go if they saw them on the Ed Sullivan show. Of course you all saw them. Nobody missed that show. You <laughs> so, are um, true. That's true. Nobody did. <laughs> all right. That's true, but. But it wasn't until the following year, right, that you finally got to see them? Uh, no, I actually saw them. Uh, they were on Ed Sullivan um, February 9th, 64, and they mm-hmm. appeared in Philadelphia uh, actually that same year on September 2nd, 1964, at Philadelphia Convention Hall. Uh, the tickets went on sale that, that early that summer. So uh, we were we were really you know all geared up for it, and of course, I actually had seen them twice, uh, heard of them, and saw pictures of them twice before the Ed Sullivan show, um, because uh, there were two instances that were very famous. Um, I saw a black and white video of them uh, around January third, sixty four. There was a show uh, on Friday night. It was an entertainment show, interview show, <clears throat> with a, a gentleman called Jack Parr, which some of the oldsters listen to this might remember. And uh-huh. Jack Parr had just been in England to do some segment of his show, and he heard about the Beatles, and he had his uh, camera crew uh, actually film them at some small concert. And then he brought it back, and he put it on his American television show, television show in black and white this small segment of a Beatles song. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was the first time I saw them, and many of us did. And then about the same time, uh, the Philadelphia Bulletin magazine, um, Sunday magazine, had a, a small black and white article about the Beatles uh, performing, and, and it was uh, a maybe two-pager around New Year's, and, I, and that was 64. And I saw that. And then it, we heard that, that, you see, we didn't have an internet back then. No, right. no, we didn't. We had nothing, but we had something which was very, you know, I mean, all the teenagers did, which was tune into different radio shows. <clears throat> so we turned it to WFIL and WIBG, basically, in Philadelphia, and they were covering Beatles songs. Uh, in February and January, and then they started pumping out info about them coming to New York and Ed mm-hmm. Sullivan and their background. So that's how we really started learning about the Beatles early on was through the radio, you know, which but, is, was our, you know, our lifeline. Pri- <laughs> yeah, prior to, I mean, when you saw saw that clip on, you know, Jack Parr and read mm-hmm. the read the article in in uh the bulletin i mean it uh, it yeah. couldn't have had the same effect as as ed sullivan i mean were you no. are we already starting to no. go gaga or you know because what the song no. was out right the song some of the songs were out but what really did make us gaga which you just said was ed sullivan because we saw some songs i mean it was hype he, they had close-ups of the guys and, I mean, that really would set us off. And we all knew we were going to sit down and watch that show that night on our one black and white TV that was in the living room of our parents' house. Right. And, and we did. I mean, that it was a 
different world back then. So mm-hmm. uh, that really that really set us off. Ed Sullivan did, and it it was. I mean, we talked about it the next day at school because mm-hmm. it was you know a Monday, and we started gathering to, together as you mentioned, in little groups. And, and now I call my little group the Beetle Buddies, but back then we didn't have a name for us. And there was basically four or five of us who, who banded together and there were other little groups. And uh, mm-hmm. actually I was in two groups. <laughs> I was one with mm-hmm. one girlfriend and then one with like four or five girlfriends. And uh, we did everything Beetle. I mean, uh, I went to a Catholic <laughs> girls high school, so we were not allowed to do anything Beetle. But we kind of were sneaky, you know. I, I, mm-hmm. I made my uh, little calendar. I put uh, up uh, my own little calendar and put it in my my uh, my my little uh, cubby hole at school, and the nun ripped it off of the to the wall and that kind of stuff. They we they did not like the Beatles, and uh, we had to sneak around and do things. And then came Beatle haircuts. Some girls got and. I, we would put beetle buttons on our handbags, and that wasn't really allowed through the halls. But we we'd sneak them, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. So it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun. It, it was mm-hmm. lots of fun. I actually had my 108 beetle bubblegum cards confiscated by the uh, English uh, nun in eighth period because I was passing them around, and uh, the, she gave them back to me at the end of the period, oh, which I was. I still have all 108 of them, and I'm thankful. Sister St. Bernadette gave them back to me, so that was good. <laughs> yeah. Um, a question I've never asked about the Ed Sullivan show. Were, is this a <clears> – for people who know that already that, you know, obviously I was born in 64, so I have no idea. Uh, did right. people – right. Did people – did I mean, was Ed Sullivan's show something that, you know, kids were watching anyway on Sunday nights? Or was this yeah, a special because, occasion that drew you all to it? No, sometimes I like to watch it because he did have uh, teen idols on there sometimes, like Paul Anka. And, uh, you know, later on he had all the British invasion groups. I mean, he mm-hmm. had every one of them that came to town. But before that, I mean, he had Elvis on it. I mean, there, it was a little before my time. But, uh, you know, I can, I've talked to people who said, oh, my gosh, it was so great we saw Elvis, you know, on uh, Ed Sullivan, and they they wouldn't show him dancing below his waist, that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, Elvis, uh, Ed Sullivan was pretty entertaining. If if you were young and you liked theater, he had a lot of uh, musical theater, you know, f- from Broadway mm-hmm. on on Sunday. And your parents are watching it, and and your grandparents. And there was one TV in the house, you know, <laughs> in those days, mm-hmm. and in the living room. So it was kind of a captive audience, if you know what I mean. I, I kind mm-hmm. of drew the line at, at Lawrence Welk, but I didn't mind. <laughs> you know, Ed Sullivan had some some great, you know, comedians, you know, on as well. You know, so mm-hmm. it was kind of entertaining for all ages. So it wasn't just for old old people. You know, some mm-hmm. things I didn't like. You know, when he had the the guys that would spin the plates and things of that sort. <laughs> I, I hated that. Oh, I hated those people. But, but everybody uh, he had, did everybody, have some but really, even in the yeah. 70s, every show had the, the plate spinners, you know? I'd yes, have to, yes, I, I would have it. to tell my children what the what that was, because I don't think ever yeah. understand if you said a plate spinner, what what these I, people yeah, were I doing. Anybody, I don't think anybody spins plates anymore. <laughs> I, was wonder, I haven't seen anybody do that in a long time. Right, that but, was yeah, huge. It, yeah. 
Yes, it was huge. It was so huge and all that kind of balancing acts and things and, and mm-hmm. walking type ropes and things. But mm-hmm. Ed Sullivan had it all. He had all different kinds of people on his show. And he did have a lot of idols, you know, as I said, like Paul mm-hmm. Anka and, and, uh, and, and, and Neil Sedaka and people like that. So mm-hmm. young people did like to watch it at different times. If you and, and they would announce that, you know, it would be in the newspaper what acts he was having on, you know, before that Sunday. So we'd know. And if it was something interesting, you know, we'd sit down and watch. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's get back. So let's get back to uh, the convention, convention hall, which is no longer there. Um, <laughs> right. And it's not, has yeah. been replaced by a very large hospital. But uh, so you're, you were 14. Uh, yeah, and 14. who did you go with? Okay. Well, this is, a, I could tell you the story. I went with my girlfriend, Kathy, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, she was one of my Beatle friends, my separate Beatle friends. I said I had one Beatle friend and then I had another mm-hmm. group. And, mm-hmm. and she was, uh, she, she lived very close to me in Southwest Philly. And we decided actually that we were going to go early in the morning and hide behind Philadelphia Convention Hall so when they would run up in a, the limo in the afternoon in the back, mm-hmm. we could spring out at them, and uh, oh. w- which was fun. So we were down mm-hmm. at Convention Hall probably about 9 o'clock in the morning. And, of course, the concert wasn't until like 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the evening. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were there before the police barricades went up. We were there before anybody was, was outside waiting for them. Mm-hmm. So we hid behind Convention Hall in the big pillars. And it was summertime, and it was hot. You know, it was September. It was right before school started. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, we stayed there behind Convention Hall for about three or four hours until around, I guess it was noontime, and our bladders just wouldn't do it anymore. <laughs> we had to, by that time, we had to go to the front of Convention Hall, and lo and behold, there were hundreds of girls, or at least maybe 150 at that time, mm-hmm. and police and police barricades. So when we went over the barricades, which the police were shocked to see somebody was already back there, uh, we couldn't get back again to the back of the convention hall. We really needed bathrooms. So Mm. uh, we waited in front. I took some pictures, and uh, I still have those pictures of the girls waiting out front. And Actually, I, I knew some girls that were out front. It was really weird. So it was Kathy and me. We waited out front, and then... uh, I guess about three or four o'clock, we didn't see anybody come up in trucks or anything. We decided we have to take the trolley car back to Southwest Philly from where we were and, uh, you know, get ready for the convention hall. And I I Mm -hmm. can't remember. I think think we took the trolley car back to the concert that evening. And Mm -hmm. uh, it it was – convention hall was, of course, the convention center. So, you know, Mm -hmm. up up the upper – Tears were like, you know, rows and rows. But the, the first floor was flat because it was also used for basketball games. It was used for convention things. So mm-hmm. they had put in lots and lots of rows of wooden chairs. And, you know, these, these kind of folding chairs. And mm-hmm. that was dangerous because, you know, we came in. I was downstairs uh, on one of those chairs with, um, I guess it was Kathy and one other my my girlfriends and we were sitting down there and 
don't tell girls who are going to see the Beatles that they can't stand on chairs. And then we'll see them better. Because everybody oh, yeah. was standing on rickety wooden chairs, and the wooden chairs were falling over. So many girls got hurt. Like they, my, my girlfriend, Diane, ripped her leg open a little bit, and it was bleeding oh, because everybody was falling off the chair. But I have to tell you, the people downstairs, which was me, um, we couldn't see them real well. It was dark. Uh, for some reason, it was darker than I thought. And the acoustics were absolutely horrible. Um, you couldn't hear them. You really couldn't hear much. Uh, girls were screaming, and, and they didn't have very good acoustics in there. So, actually, I was quite upset by the time I left because all I could have seen during the whole concert was Ringo's drum set a bit. It was dark. I saw uh, the the DJ who came out before I heard him. Nobody mm-hmm. was screaming over him. He was a, a very famous DJ that I interviewed a few times named High Lit. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he introduced the Beatles. He brought them to Philly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, I was kind of disappointed in the concert. And, of course, the concerts in those days, too, I mean, they sang about eight or nine songs. So mm-hmm. it was over pretty quickly. And, uh, the, you know, most of these Beatle concerts uh, had opening acts, which nobody mm-hmm. cared about. Absolutely mm-hmm. nobody. You know, I don't mm-hmm. care who they were. They were all waiting for the Beatles. And the Beatles were the, the top act, and they were last. So people just, you know, didn't pay much attention to who was on before. But um, it was a kind of a disappointment. I was so excited to see them, but I couldn't see them, and I couldn't hear them. And, mm-hmm. and I have a picture of me at home after the concert, and my face is all flushed because I was crying, because I couldn't Aww. see them and I couldn't hear them. But I Aww. so enjoyed being there. I, I enjoyed the, the atmosphere, you know, and, mm-hmm. and of course, that everybody was – was you know excited and uh it was very hard to get tickets for that concert and and the only reason i got two tickets is because my cousin was very good friends with a guy that owned one of the biggest record stores in south philly and Ah. um and he got he got that he got the two tickets for me because they were impossible to get people were wound up for like hours to try to get those tickets and, and couldn't get them so, yeah. um, so I just can I ask you, yeah, so yeah. can I ask you, what, what was your plan when you were going to jump out <laughs> from you know when you were hiding out? I mean, what was, the, what was the plan there? What did you think was going to happen? We and never had a plan. None of us had a plan. It was the chase that excited us. We had no uh-huh. plans, what we were supposed to do. If we would have seen them, we probably would have just fainted away or something because there was no plan. Uh, it was the same thing. Uh, I had I had a plan. I actually wrote it up. I typed it up on three pages, pieces of paper on my little, uh, you know, typewriter, my Royal Safari typewriter. It was mm-hmm. how to meet the Beatles uh, when they stayed at a hotel in Philadelphia, which they didn't stay at a hotel in Philadelphia, but we thought they would. So mm-hmm. I had a whole chambermaid thing made up of for me and my <laughs> girlfriend. So what we were going to do step by step, how we were going to dress up in our grown-up clothes and, and go there and, and pretend we were chambermaids and, and then, you know, go to their room and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, uh, what was the plan here? I mean, really? Yeah, well, so, well, you know, yeah. So, so, so if the, right. So did you have the plan of once you got in and met them, what was going to happen then? We, we were going to talk to them and tell jokes. We had, I had written down like the kind of 
funny things we were going to say to them and mm-hmm. that they were probably going to say back to us. I mean, you got to realize we were 14. And, and, hey, in 1964, 14 was very young. Not today, but very mm-hmm. young in those days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we after that, that, I had no plan. I mean, it, and, and you tell me that my parents were going to let me dress up and take a hotel room at one of the biggest hotels in Philadelphia, you know, I mean, come on, <laughs> but, but it was, it was just fantasy. We were young. Mm-hmm. We were in it for the chase. What we would we do after the chase? Who, nobody knew. I mean, we just had this chase thing in our mind. So we didn't mm-hmm. really have any plans afterwards, you know, right. Just, just to be able to say shock. that you got in. You know, yeah, I got to tell our friends at school, you know, or take a picture. A lot of things are, oh, my gosh, could we get a picture with them? You know, and, and of course, mm-hmm. what do we have for cameras? No cell phones. Oh, no. We had our, you know, Instamatic or our Brownie Hawkeyes, that kind of camera in those days. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, I mean, I took a lot of pictures and uh, I actually, you know, still have all those photos. I took pictures outside Convention Hall. I took pictures mm-hmm. Of Victor, you know, the actor Victor Spinetti. I took a lot of pictures from that mm-hmm. era and in, you know, mod clothes. But what our plans were for things? No, we really didn't have any long term mm-hmm. plans. We, we all thought we were going to marry a Beatle, but, you know, that was that was what you thought when you were 14 back in 1964. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what's, what's, Okay, so this is where I got this wrong because I thought it was 64 you missed. It wasn't. It was 65 that you didn't see them, right? We jumped to 66? No. No, I didn't go to Chase Stadium in 65. Now, why I didn't, I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't go to Um, I In 66, they came to Philly again, uh, Mm -hmm. and they came in on August 16th, 1966, and now they were playing um, sports stadiums, open sports stadiums. So they mm-hmm. went to JFK Stadium in Philadelphia, which was the big football field. It, it was a mm-hmm. big football stadium. Yep. And and then a week later, we had tickets for, and I still have my ticket stubs. I have all my mm-hmm. ticket stubs. Um, I, we went to the um, August 23rd, 66, New York Shea Stadium concert. And that was wow. also an open stadium. And um, you have to realize that, you know, we were 14, 15, now 15 by the 16 by that time. We were 16 mm-hmm. that summer. Mm-hmm. And you have to realize that even from the age of 14 and a half, it was nothing for, for girls to just get on a train and go from Philly to New York for a concert or for a Broadway show or something. Wow. I mean, it was very wow. common. I mean, and to take the train at night home. I mean, it was just nothing. And, and mm-hmm. you know, lo and behold, my parents, who were very strict with me about things, oh, sure, you know. So, but we went up to Shea Stadium by, by Amtrak. And uh, also uh, the, this, 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 the concert at JFK was, they both were interesting concerts because they were very, very different than the inside Philly Convention Hall concert. This mm-hmm. time, uh, we could see them. Uh, of course, we were way up in the seats. It was a big sports mm-hmm. stadium. They looked like ants, but we could see them. We all brought binoculars with us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, also, we could – I now, some people say they didn't hear them. I heard them both at Shea, and I heard them at JFK, because mm-hmm. they 
piped in the music through the the big loudspeakers that they used at the ball field. Mm-hmm. So uh, we heard. Yeah, I heard them. that I mean, wasn't, wasn't the greatest, greatest sound, though. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't the greatest acoustics in the world, but uh, you know, like a hundred times better than not hearing anything at convention hall. Mm-hmm. You know, which mm-hmm. we we didn't hear anything there. So we did, and with Shea uh, Stadium. It was one of the most humid. I mean, New York is humid like Philly, but it's even worse. And it was one of the most humid evenings that I can remember. It was just so hot. And there were lots of groups uh, before the Beatles that we weren't interested in. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then, of course, they came on and they sang their whatever it was, nine songs, eight songs, and they were gone, you know. And and, Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing with uh, JFK Stadium. It was the same show, you know. They had the right. same opening acts and then the same songs, mm-hmm. but we didn't care. You know, we, we saw them and that was, you know, all that, that counted. And uh, mm-hmm. there was not a full, there was not a full stadium at Shea, if I remember. Uh, up, up, We were up somewhere, and but there were mm-hmm. there were empty seats. And it, I think it was the same thing at JFK Stadium. It wasn't full on the top. Um but it was very interesting uh, seeing them three times, you know, in concert, mm-hmm. in concert, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, um, as it was. Mm-hmm. Did you go in? Did you go into these concerts all dressed up with your hair all done, believing that you know Paul McCartney was going to spot you in the audience? And I mean, this seems to be you know the thought of a lot of girls. You know, some of them well, didn't care. some of them knew. You know, absolutely, this is not going to. You know. Yeah, I think my first concert, I when I went to Philly um, Convention Hall. Uh, I had just seen uh, Hard Day's Night, and uh, I remember how Patty Boyd was dressed in sort of a little British schoolgirl uniform. So I had mm-hmm. like a little British schoolgirl uniform on in green. I, I, mm-hmm. and, and, of course, we were starting – you got to understand, we were starting to dress mod. I mean, I my big thing, you know, was white stockings and mini dresses and Mary Quant and all that kind of stuff. And then mm-hmm. the I don't remember what I wore for the JFK Stadium, but for Shea Stadium, I wore a really cute little, I wasn't real dressed up, but a little pink and white print suit, which was very mod. And uh, I think I wore, I think I did wear my little uh, strappy, because black strappy shoes was, was the big thing. I wore those in my white stockings. So, uh, yeah, dressed up, not horribly dressed. Now, some girls just, you know, would dress every day. But I wanted to dress mod. And I and, and mm-hmm. wear, of course, I, now I don't remember in, in if I did in the last two concerts, but for the, the one at Philly Convention Hall, we all wore our John Lennon caps, you know, the, the, the black uh, yes. uh, sort of semen caps that we wore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had several of them in different fabrics for summer and winter, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Yes, and uh, mm-hmm. some of them were black velour, and sometimes we would wear the black velour ones in the middle of summer, and we'd sweat to death. But yes, <laughs> uh, I did have that. I had my cap on uh, for that first concert. I remember that. And actually, mm-hmm. it's in the picture of me crying that my father took uh, when I got home. <laughs> <laughs> you are it's you're the funny. first person I, I I've I've talked to that has said they they. You know, we're just so disappointed they cried when they got home. Now, did you yes. did you attend yeah. all three of these with the same person, or with uh, different people? No, no, no. My first one, it was me and Kathy, and uh, she was my single Beatle friend. And then the other two, 
it was my Beetle Buddy group uh, of about there were two or three of us uh, mm-hmm. and one extra girl that was sort of a, a pseudo Beetle Buddy. She came to up to to New York and, mm-hmm. uh, and so it was different different girls, but all they were all Beetle maniacs. So. Uh, and I always call us Beetle maniacs, you know, and people say, oh, do you really use that term? I said, yes, because that's what we were. You know, we were uh-huh. crazy for all things Beatles. I mean, our rooms were decorated in 100% Beatles. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, whatever album came out, we were there that day to get the album. You know, uh, if we knew mm-hmm. they, the movie was coming out, we'd be there uh, the day it opened. And probably, you, you see, we didn't have video in those days, so how can you see a movie? You have to go to the movie theater and and continue to go to mm-hmm. the movie theater the week after mm-hmm. until it leaves that theater. So uh, we we did that several times to see the movies. And we knew the dialogue because we would buy books that have the whole script in it. So we mm-hmm. would have the dialogue of, of all the oh, movies. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I still have this. <laughs> so, so you know how long did your you know how long did mm. did you remain a beetle maniac throughout you know would you say throughout your oh. life or was there a pause where you know you went off to college and kind of like uh you yeah. know yeah you, you yes you yeah well everybody has to grow up you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what i say so um i was a beetle maniac probably around till my senior year in high school and mm-hmm. after senior year, I was getting ready to, to go to college, which I went to college in Philadelphia. I didn't go away. Who could afford it back then? So I went to Temple mm-hmm. University. And uh, I loved the Beatles. And they were just breaking up, don't forget, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a couple years after I graduated high school. And they were getting more psychedelic. And I really wasn't into a lot of this psychedelic stuff. I liked it, but I wasn't. I liked the early mm-hmm. and middle Beatle music more so it kind of I say kind of tapered down a little bit I mean not that I didn't love them and I kind of followed them and then they broke up and uh, I actually went to work you know and and had Mm -hmm. other things to think about and then I moved overseas for you know a period of that time was I guess it was 12 years and uh, then I liked them. I, I would still look and see what was happening to the separate, you know, beetles and, mm-hmm. and wings and all. But I I was not in the country and I wasn't, you know, running to concerts. Then then it got to be that um, got to the point, I guess, when my kids were little, I kind of rediscovered the music a lot more, and I used to play mm-hmm. play it for my twins. And I I then I decided about that time, uh, you know, maybe it should be written down because I was a journalist by profession. That was my profession. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. said, and I had written a story. I had worked for the Philadelphia Bulletin as a journalist after college and during college. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then I had written a story. I went to my, my publisher, uh, my editor uh, for the Sunday magazine. And I, and back in 70, it was 74. And I said, Mm -hmm. I'd like to write a Sunday story about the Beatles uh, 10 years later because I lived it. And he said, mm-hmm. okay. And I did. And it, it appeared in the Sunday Bulletin magazine. And that was the, you know, the kernel for everything years later, you know, cause I, I remembered it and, and mm-hmm. I, I figured mm, it'd be fun to write some stuff down yeah, to, to you, remember, 
you know. Yeah, a lot of girls kept diaries, um, especially the ones who, yep. who wrote books. Did you have a diary <laughs> yeah. or no? You just – Oh, yeah. You did? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I started writing things down when I was about 10, and around 11 – uh, 11 and a half, I started writing in this little black book that I had that my uncle gave me. And I call it my little black book, which is weird, but that's what I called mm-hmm. it. And it it went from writing about, you know, exam time in, in, in sixth grade and, and having the mumps, you know. And then it got, it, it got gradually, when the Beatles came out, it started to have a lot of information about Beatles in it as well. And then it went on, that little uh, diary went on until I guess I graduated college, so or just oh, about. Wow. So yeah, and uh, that that was fun. It's fun to read through that and uh, see, you know, how I thought when I was twelve and thirteen years old, which is like six mm-hmm. lifetimes ago. Woo, mm-hmm. you know. So, so yeah, so it, yeah. So you ended up writing. You did end up writing a book, and the name of the book is. Diary of a Beetle Maniac. Oh, yes. Right. That's what it's called. So this, yeah, this book came out three years ago? Yeah, it'll be, um, it came out in 2018 on John Lennon's birthday in October. Mm -hmm. And uh, it'll be three years this year. And it's been a fun thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I decided, the thing is, I decided way back, maybe, oh my gosh, 15 years ago, now, 10 years, 12 years ago, had to be more than that. I decided that my generation is passing. You know, I'm a baby boomer, and right. I have all this stuff in my head, and I wrote a lot of stuff down, and I had written articles, and I thought, um, I think that the, the Beatle maniac side of Beatle, the Beatles should be told by the fans, the original fans, the, you know, mm-hmm. the first-generation right. fans or mm-hmm. as I call us, the vintage fans. And that's mm-hmm. why I I wrote the book, to tell, you know, our side of the story and what happened as a fan, because the fans, you know, are the ones that really, you know, made the whole thing crazy, you know, impossible in a way. I mean, the music is fantastic, but they right. have fans and we were part of it. So, um, you know, yeah, I Yeah, and it's kind of like the reason, they, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the reason I do the show, because it's the fan stories you want to hear, you know, they were there. Yeah. They they lived through it, and I didn't. You know, I didn't get to live through it. Um, even though, yeah. you know, just yeah. like you're a boomer, the generations must have been much bigger. You know, because now they do generations. I think every ten years or something like that, they can yeah. name a new generation. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, for us, yeah. it was it was a twenty year span. And I mean, yeah. I have I have siblings who were born in. Um, 19, let's see, the first, the twins were born in 1946. Oh, and, wow, yeah. And my younger brother was born in 66. So we spanned wow. the 20 years. Yes. And so, yeah. but, it's, mm-hmm. but it's a completely different lifestyle, um, you know, from them growing up in the 50s and 60s to me growing up, oh. you know, I don't remember anything until yeah. possibly 69, you know, um, and right. it wasn't the Beatles. Right. <laughs> No, so, no, no, that, that's true. Yeah. So even though I it, get to say I'm a boomer, you know, I don't get to say I, I got, you know, I got to enjoy the Beatles like everybody else did. Um, so when I guess everybody else went around back around like you did and rediscovered them later on, you know, when you had children. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the yep. kind of, that's a nostalgia thing that you just want to, that was a peaceful, 
you know, good time in your life. And so the music kind of takes you back to, you know, the feeling, that feeling. That's true. And I, you know, the way I felt, I mean, I, I go to Beatle Fest um, conventions a lot and Mm -hmm. I, I, I saw early on that at that time that the Beatle fans, the original Beatle fans were not really being representative uh, in Beatle literature then. You know, this mm-hmm. is like 10 years ago. And then I said, yeah, um, I'm going to write something because we helped make it happen. And uh, I had all this, as I said, I had all this stuff. And I was the right generation. And mm-hmm. um, I, I also, my my information was so different because I had a journalism background. So I went into uh, diaries, you know, and pulled out what I thought was important. And plus, I, I didn't tell you this, in Philly, from the time I was 14, um, I had a column in a local newspaper called the Southwest Philadelphia Globe Times. You know, they came around every week, these little neighborhood papers. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. I had I had something called Teen to Teen. And I wrote that from the time I was 14 and a half until I was in college. And wow. Maybe my second year in college. Yeah. And I kept all those columns. And those columns had music. They had fashion. They had all kinds of, uh, oh, you know, uh, pulse of the, the those years of the generation, what was going on. And I saved all that. So I used that in my book, my columns. And I used my diary and, of course, my memory. So it was a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But uh, it, it was perfect. And, and also – the you know the fact that I had been a fan club president uh, mm-hmm. for one of the Beatle actors and 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 in Philly and that was another thing I could bring into the book, so uh, it had a little bit of everything. Yeah, <laughs> I got I got to ask: does a, does a fourteen and a half year old get paid to write a column in the sixties? No, no. no. <laughs> she the funny thing the funny thing is it was so funny. The way I got the column, and I, and I didn't even think about having a column, is because, well, it was the summer of 64, and they were going to be at Philadelphia Convention Hall in September. So this mm-hmm. was a little daily, a weekly newspaper, and I called up the editor, who I didn't even know her name in those days. Pat was her name, and I called her up, and I said, I would like a press pass for the Beatles concert, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's coming up this September and I, I will write about it for your paper. What was such a little paper, you know, basically it was front page and then all ads and stuff. Right. So she said to me, she, she, she was very sweet. And she said, she talked to me for a little while on the phone and half who I was and you know, all this stuff. And then she said to me, and she knew I was interested in, in journalism. And even at that age, and I was 14 mm-hmm. and she said to me, you know what we could use, in this little paper, she says, we, we could use a, a column for teenagers. There's so many teenagers now, but, you know, in, in, in the neighborhood. And she mm-hmm. said, would you be happy to do something? So both my girlfriend, uh, Diane, and I, she was my beetle, beetle buddy, we mm-hmm. decided we would write the column. And we would, sometimes we wrote it together. Sometimes she wrote one. Sometimes I wrote one. Uh, but it was like, like every week, every two weeks for years, I did it. And after she stopped, I still did it. And that's how I got, <laughs> I got the column. It was through the Beatles, really. So they didn't have any mm-hmm. press pass, but they, and of course it didn't pay a penny in the summers, you know, while I was in high school, I could work in their offices and do mm-hmm. stupid things. You know, I mean, I did 
some writing and I, you know, I would, uh, you know, take ad money and whatever needed to be done in the little office. Uh-huh. So I actually got my foot foot in the journalism that way. So I thank uh-huh. the Beatles. I lift my hat to them that they helped me with that. So that was, <laughs> helped that you with fun. your career. Yeah. Um, so we yeah. talk. You were you were talking about this this fan club. So tell me about how that came about. Um, okay. Well, born. that that. Okay, that was very very interesting. Um, in in Philly that summer again, you know, we we knew that we were going to go to the the Beatle concert in September of '64, and we did. And in mm-hmm. September of '64, everything was hot. The Beatles were hot in newspapers. I keep scrapbooks. I kept scrapbooks in those days. I still have them. I ripped out every article about the Beatles. So an article those are worth, in the newspaper. Those are actually worth some money. Those things go for a yeah, lot of money uh, these days. Uh, my scrapbooks are kind of falling apart, but I try to keep them in one piece. And I mm-hmm. use a lot of that stuff for the book, believe me, mm-hmm. because they're all articles from the Philadelphia Inquirer and Bulletin and that kind of stuff. But anyway, there was an article in the paper that at the, be- at the beginning, right after the Beatles concert in Philly, there was a little article stating that the Beatle actor, Victor Spinetti, who had played, in, that played the, uh, the director in the movie uh, Hard Day's Night, was coming huh? to Philadelphia in a pre, it was a pre-Broadway tryout of a theater presentation uh, called Oh, What a Lovely War. It was a British uh, satire on the war, World War uh-huh. I, actually. And he, it was a musical. And he was coming to Philly. And uh, this he was going to be there from the mid-September. And uh, I saw that article. And I said to my Beatle buddies, Victor Spinetti's coming. I wrote a letter. This, in those days, everybody wrote letters. I wrote mm-hmm. a letter to him. Um, he was, I thought he would be staying at the Bellevue Stratford, which was the big, you know, expensive hotel in those days where mm-hmm. all the theater actors stayed. And this was, that's where he stayed. And he, my letter, I mailed it to the Bellevue Stratford. It got to him. And he wow. wrote to me right away. I mean, right away. I got a beautiful letter back from him stating, well, I thank you for your letter. He was very fan-oriented and mm-hmm. he died. He was very fan-oriented. Anyway, he said, if, the, if I was interested, along with my little friends, we could come to the stage door. And it was at the, um, let me see, was it a, the, the, um, he was at the Forest Theater, his Oh, What a mm-hmm. Lovely War. And uh, it was, I wrote them on September 11th at 64. And he was at the hotel from the 16th to the 26th, if I remember, in 64. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we hung out at the theater. And every mm-hmm. day uh, between rehearsals, he would come out. We would come from – we'd take the trolley car from high school, which was in West Philly, to Center mm-hmm. City, Philly. And mm-hmm. we would hang out at the stage door with some other girl. We weren't the only ones. And he would come out and he would talk to us about the Beatles and his experiences making a, a hard day's night. And then mm-hmm. uh, he was just so charming, and we kept going back, like, almost every day. We mm-hmm. actually went to see the play a couple times. I remember seeing the play and sitting inside the Forest Theater with a cake on my lap. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what we did in those days. So anyway, he, he, he left Philly because the play was on pre-tryout for Broadway. Then he uh-huh. went up to New York that next week after we saw him for two weeks, and we followed him up to New York. We actually went up by, you know, Amtrak, 
saw the play again in New York, and he was at the Broadhurst Theater in New York. And then he, um, we went up, I think, twice, and we would talk to him. Our mm-hmm. little group, there were like four of us. And mm-hmm. uh, the cutest, the most, ex- I mean, he, he was just such a charming guy that he actually, after the play was over, he said to us, would you like to know what it's like to be on a Broadway uh, theater, a stage? And then we said, wow, Victor, we would love that. So after the play was over and nobody was in the theater, he took us on and showed us what it was like. I mean, can you imagine somebody doing that? I mean, for fans, I mean, it's amazing. So anyway, we thought, make a long story short, we thought he was the nicest guy in the world. He was very charming. And we were going to start a fan club because everybody Mm -hmm. started fan clubs in those days for everybody. So we started a fan club for Victor Spinetti, and we called it the uh, official Victor Spinetti Fan Club of America, Chapter 1, Philadelphia. And we had about 50 to 70 members. Most of mm-hmm. them were from our high school. Most of them didn't know who Victor Spinetti was. But we said, hey, <laughs> give us 50 cents. And, and we mimeographed newsletters. And uh, we were in touch. Victor actually had fan clubs in Brooklyn and in Chicago and in the U.K., so we would uh, put a little mimeograph newsletter out. We used information from them, you know, and, and it was mm-hmm. a very, very small fan club. It wasn't anything like the big Beatle fan clubs or, or George Harrison fan clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very, very nice to his fan clubs. He was very nice to us. He started sending us. He was actually, he finished uh, Oh, What a Lovely War. He did another Broadway play for a couple months. Uh, called Skyscraper. He was back in New York, but then he got the call to be in the second Beatle movie, Help. He went on location with them. And wow. that's when we start We start getting gifts. We start getting autographs. We start <gasps> getting... Mem- oh, yes, wow. Yes. Oh, wait. Oh, we... First thing we received as a fan club was a full... Uh, it was a full menu from the, uh, it was not British Airways, it was BOAC. It was mm-hmm. the plane they took from England to New York. And then from New York, they went down to, to uh, the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. And he actually, it, I have the whole, I have the whole um, uh, menu and on the back, all four autographs. Oh wow! Paul and Paul and uh, was it George and George and John are in pencil. I think and Paul and and Ringo are in, in pen. Um, and that was sent. And it said inside it said for all in Philly, love Victor Spinetti. At present working on Beatles Two. That was the name of it then. Beatles Two. See back page for autographs of the four mm-hmm. lads. And so he sent us that. Then he sent us the gray and black V neck icon fuzzy sweater that he wore in a hard day's night he sent us that and um oh my lord was so, yeah he was so giving he sent us cocktail stirrers his boys had the, the lads had used it when they were in a, in a cocktail uh club down in the bahamas he sent us a two blue candles from george harrison's 21st birthday cake when they were in the bahamas and then they <laughs> then 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 they went to uh, the Alps to film Help, mm-hmm. and the, the fun never stopped because it was 
my mother wrote to Victor. I mean, we all wrote to Victor while he was overseas and, you know, on, on location. Mm-hmm. Well, my mother wrote to Victor. And my mother oh, said, wow. Patty's 16th birthday is coming up. She didn't tell me she was doing this. She was such a sweetheart, my mom. She said, can you send something special for her? Well, okay, for my 16th <laughs> birthday, I get this little orange envelope in the mail from Victor. He was in, he had been in uh, the, the, the Alps. There's an Alps postcard on one, one side it's the Alps, the inside mm-hmm. this envelope. On the other side it says, um, I think it said to Patty from Paul McCartney, Happy birthday, love. That was uh, autographed. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for the, 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 the shocker of all shockers, there's this little thing, this little paper thing that I opened. There's a lock of Paul McCartney's hair from the hairdresser at his studio that cut his hair. Victor got the hairdresser to give oh, me a lock of Paul McCartney's hair. Well, I had I slept with that I encased it in plastic like a relic, and I slept with it under my pillow for two years. <laughs> I, I still have it, of course, you know, and the uh-huh. autograph. But but that is I and and you know people have laughed at me and said, hey, you got Paul McCartney's DNA. Think of that. That's what that was my first thought. You can make your yeah. own Paul McCartney. <laughs> well, I always I always laugh at people. I said, I'm going to make a Paul McCartney butler and move to Maui. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do out of this thing. But, yeah, I, you know, but, I mean, he was so, this guy, Victor was just such a giving person. He had told me, he had said, I do this because when I was young, I was a fan too. And I longed to meet these people. And I never met them. So I know how you feel. And that's yeah. what he said. Isn't that and nice? I, I actually, yeah, it was so nice. I interviewed him a couple times. I interviewed him for my little column, and then I interviewed him at Beetle Fest in Las Vegas when he was there. I made sure I went to that Beetle Fest because I wanted to see him. He was getting old. It was, I think, in 2006. And I interviewed mm-hmm. him for the book there again. And there's an interview in the back of the book with Victor, and he's older. Mm-hmm. And I took him to dinner, and, and it, we had such a wonderful time. And I stayed in contact with him uh, his whole life. We would exchange uh, little notes. He would call me when I lived in Europe. And, you know, and I saw him in London. I went uh, way back uh, when I graduated college. I went to London on a trip, and I spent New Year's Eve with him and his friends at a party at his home. I, it's just he was just such a giving person. So that was my fan club thing. Our fan club actually died at the end of high school, but uh, the friendship with Victor went on for his whole lifetime. Wow. He he did pass pass away in 2012. He was in his 80s and he had cancer, but in Wales he was Welsh, so he he went back to Wales. And uh, uh, he was a great mm-hmm. guy and a good actor. He had mm-hmm. played with Elizabeth Taylor in movies, and and uh, he had played with uh, the Pink Panther movies. He he had been he was very talented. So mm-hmm. uh, that was mm-hmm. my fan club story. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, that's amazing. That's really amazing. Cause, yep. yeah, <laughs> wow. I'm 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 seriously impressed. Anyway, Patty, your stories are absolutely fabulous. And everybody who's listening, if you get a chance, you know, go on Amazon or your favorite, you know, book website or 
any place and go and find yourself a copy of uh, Diary of a Beetle Maniac. Okay. I know that I just downloaded it. For oh, you're good. So, so yeah, I'm, I do I, have. I, I, I can. I can just tell you, I have a, a website which is very handy if people want to get familiar with the book. It's called All Run Together Diary of a Beetlemaniac dot com, and I do a monthly blog, and there's a lot of information about the book there too, and and fun stories too if people like to to read that. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, so this is this is some hack site. I mean, you're you're a journalist, so when you write a blog, you're not yeah. just you know. Yeah. Uh, in fact, my blog is due this this week, and I'm thinking, oh, I'll have to write about Ringo's birthday. Yay! He's there you up, go. You know. So there you go. Yeah, you know, I yeah. I try to think of something to write every month. You know, but yeah. Uh, so any so so you know the the website's the same as the book diaryofabeetlemaniac.com. And, uh, right. you know, look up, look up Patty and uh, get to know her a little bit. And uh, once thank again, you. thank you for, thank you for telling us all, your story. And I, I loved having you as a guest. Your stories are incredible. Oh. And thank uh, you so much for having me. I appreciate and, and it. I know so you, and I, and, thank you. Right. And I know you're in the process of a second book though. It's not a Beatle book, but yep. still, you know, good luck with your, <laughs> your next. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And keep yeah. in touch. All right, thank you, Beetle fans, for listening in for another episode, and come back next week when we have another guest on I Saw the Beatles. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.